came back, all oh, you poor souls. All right, we're going to give it to you this morning, there. And it's good to be with you all today, and uh, glad that you're able to make it back here with us today. I'm going to be sharing some things today that will be encouraging and challenging to you. Um, I know some of you uh, asked me if I was going to bring more of these books. I did. Uh, this is my latest book, Wounded Lions. Your loudest roar comes from your deepest wounds. And again, it's just a reminder to all God's daughters and sons that you're not just going through something. God is taking you somewhere. Ooh, that was good. That was pretty good. I think I'm going to write a book about that. Jesus, that was good. I only say two good things a year, and I was one of them. I also brought with me today this book I wrote. This one specifically I wrote for fathers, and it's called The Father 40-Day Challenge. Okay? And the focus is the 40-day journey to building a better relationship with the children. Uh, at least it's a devotional. is what it is. Okay? For me. So I wrote this, and I had a a lot of fun with this. Me and my kids put this one together, so it was a lot of fun that we when we did this one here. So that one's over there as well. Again, all these books are ten dollars if you guys are interested in them. Okay. And it's good to see my brother Terry here. Yeah, from you're not inside here anymore, but it's good to see you. Let's get Terry in. Oh, as we move forward today, I want to encourage you, and I want to simply tell you that. As we talk about family and parenting and things like that and fighting for our family, I always try to make it very clear, okay? Uh, when you're talking about these things, what's most important is this, is that I never want people to see me as a professional in these type of lives. I'm not. I'm a dad, okay? Which means that I have good days and I have bad days, okay? I'm a parent. Which means, like you, I have good days and I have bad days. I'm a, I'm a person, which means that there are imperfections, okay? Just like everybody in the room. So what I always say is when I'm sharing about these things, what I want to be clear is this. We are family, okay? And it simply means this. We take journeys together. We learn together, and all I do is I come and I try to give some tools or information for what I personally have learned, okay? So that's typically what I do. I know I've been a parent long enough, and I've been alive long enough to know that there are no perfect parents, okay? And there are no perfect families, all right? Every family has some dysfunction to some degree within it, all right? But while there isn't any one of them that are perfect, they should all be persistent. And that simply means you get up every day to win. You get up every day to win. You get up every day to fight for your family. You get up every day to try to do better than you did the next day. And there are some days you're just glad to see that's gone. You know, man, that, that vacation just didn't go well, right? Today just didn't go well, right? You look forward to tomorrow. You get back up. You go after it again, okay? Perfection is not the goal. Persistence is the key, all right? You understand that? You agree? Let me see that. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Yeah, there you go. Uh, come here. You stand right here. Yeah, yeah. You stand right here. Yeah, right here. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh,
Andrew, Tim, Tim, Justin, Justin. Welcome to meeting Brian's teddy bears here, guys. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Those guys make me feel right at home. I wanted to come in and just run a football today. That, that's what I wanted to let these guys block me today. Uh, today, we want to talk about identity and the struggle we see within this generation of identity. I was at a park, and when I went to this park, me and my wife, we took our children to uh, uh, a park, and we put them on a swing and we start pushing. And as we're pushing our kids on the swing, uh, our kids are doing what kids do. They're excited. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. And I'm just pushing, and my wife, we're just pushing the kids, right? And you know what kids do? They challenge you. When you're pushing them on the swing, they say, Daddy, push them higher, right? You know, I'm competitive, so I push them higher, right? And then all of a sudden, this other family shows up, and they have two little kids as well, and they put their kids on the swing, and they start pushing their kids. And I'm like next to this dad, his dad, his wife's on that side, my wife's on this side, and me and this dad are shoulder to shoulder, and we're pushing our kids, right? And his kids start challenging him. Daddy, higher, higher. So my kids are saying higher, his kids are saying higher, and all of a sudden I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and guess what? We're competing now. <laughs> this is totally, we don't care nothing about these kids. <laughs> this, is, this is the Lions against the Chicago Bears right now. We're just, we're just doing this. My kids are saying higher, I'm pushing my kids out. And he's like, oh yeah, and he's pushing his kids I'm like, oh yeah. And all you hear is, you hear, you hear this, it goes from wee, wee, to <laughs> Kids are coming back with nosebleeds, right? <laughs> it's a true story, and it's, it was hilarious, and we were talking about it afterwards, and I said, we started laughing, and he's like, he said, what are we doing? <laughs> found out that he was actually, I don't remember what school, but from Grand Rapids, okay? And they actually stopped out of park to let their kids burn some energy. Uh, the cool thing was this, was that we got to talking, and we had a great conversation, and we found out we are just two sets of parents who wanted the same things for our kids. We were different colors, different races, different cities, who wanted the same thing for our kids. Let me tell you what we wanted. Both of us, we're not just in the physical trying to push our kids on the swing high. Theoretically in life, as parents, we're just trying to push our kids further than we ever went. That's what parents want. We want our kids to do better than we can. Have a better life than we've had. And so we find ourselves pushing and pushing and pushing. One of the great joys of my life is that I get an opportunity to have one foot in the world of speaking to young people, the other foot in the world of speaking to adults, whether that be at church, churches or conferences or doing leadership trainings in corporate America. Okay? And what I get an opportunity to see is this. 
had to tell kids this, hey, don't fight to push when your parents are pushing you on the swing of life. Let them push you as high as they go. They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to make sure you go further and higher than what they did. And I tell parents, hey, push, 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 and push. Push them to greatness. Push them to what God has called them to be. They will thank you later, as those of you who are in this room who are grandparents, you probably know that already. Today we're going to be talking about identity and the importance of it. One of the greatest things I've seen in my travels over the last 28 years is that generations struggle, this generation in particular, it struggles with this identity. Mm-hmm. It does not know who it is or why. And there's a reason for that. There is a reason. The question is why and what happened? Why and what happened? But there's an answer for this as well. God always has an answer. Can we give him some praise? Let me tell you about that answer. It is found in Matthew. Chapter 3, verse 13. Oh, Matthew chapter 3. Should I be preaching out of Matthew 5? Should I? Did I miss did I miss God here? No, no. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13. It is a baptism baptism of Jesus. And here, God shows us something about parenthood and this next generation. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. What a powerful portion and piece of scripture, Lord God. Now, God, I pray, God, that you would encourage us as families as parents, Lord God, and grandparents, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the tools and truths that we find in your word, Lord God, and we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This statement that we see here, that God speaks over Jesus, is a blueprint. Here's what I want us all to say. Repeat after me. Say, God, 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 break my heart. For the next generation. For the next generation. Repeat after me. God, God, break my heart. Break my heart. For the next generation. For the next generation. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Yes. But it is the only way we save them. It's the only way we rescue them. Instead of our heart is broken for them. It is compassion that will move us. Cause us to step out and move us towards him. I promise you that. 
On three different occasions, the statement that we just read, that when God is speaking over Jesus and he says, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. On three different occasions in scripture, God says this over Jesus. He says it to him at the start of his ministry in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, as we just read. He says it in the middle of his ministry in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. We call it the Mount of Transformation there. And he says it even, he begins his voice cracks the heaven and speaks as well at the death of Christ. I believe it's John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. God even speaks there. All throughout scripture, God is talking about the blessing and identity over the next generation. We even see it in the life of Esau as Jacob is being blessed and Esau says to his parents, he says to his father, he says, do you only have one blessing? Is that all you have to give? It's just one blessing? He was saying, daddy, mommy, bless me too. Let me tell you what this generation of kids are saying. They're saying, mom, dad, Bless me too. Speak a blessing over me too. Do you only have one blessing to give? You see, when it comes to birthrights, what Esau figured out, when it comes to birthrights, some would say that that is the part that where you are born can happen by chance. First, second, or third. I believe God has that even planned. But one thing is for sure, your birthright might be by chance, but the blessing is always intentional. So as parents, we want to be intentional and as grandparents about being a blessing to the next generation. Here's the thing I've learned about kids, and you know this as well. They do not come with instructions. (laughs) This is a problem. If you're anything like me, Christmas rolls around, my wife starts buying all this stuff for the kids, and the boxes that are the most dangerous are the ones that tell you that that says assembly required. Some assembly required. The worst ones are the ones that say easily assembly. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the ones that are always lying to me. Okay, the box is lying to me. And my wife, I'll tell you this, she'll give me that box and she says, this has got to be put together. And what I do, I get all, I just dump everything out of that box. I turn that box towards me because on the front of it is the picture, okay? (laughs) Only problem is this, I'm not reading that book. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I need to read the book? The picture's right here. Whatever, the should look like this. However, when I'm done, it just typically never looks like this. It's never. There's a bunch of extra pieces out here. My wife was going, why are these extra pieces? And I say, they're just that. They're extra pieces. Just in case we need something in the future. Which is not true. It's typically why the handlebars are swinging around like this. Kids don't come with instructions. And I got four of them. And the truth is, is they're all different. We all know this. They're just different. All of them. But God gives us a blueprint that we can use within all of our children, no matter how different they are. Here's a picture of Jesus. He's being baptized. This is what I call the coolest pool party on the face of the earth right here, okay? 
Jesus invites his family, his friends, his future followers all here. His cousin, John the Baptist, is about to baptize him. And the Bible tells us that John the Baptist lowers Jesus underneath the water. And as Jesus is underneath the water, he comes back up and the heavens open up and the voice of God speaks and says, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Now, I don't know about you, but I got some cousins that I would not be excited about baptizing me. Okay, I got some cousins who like to play too much, all right? Some of them that would hold you under until the last bubble came up, right? John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And when he comes up, something beautiful happens. The Father speaks. This is my son who I love. And with him, I am well pleased. In this statement... Is something absolutely beautiful that we all need to take note of. When he came back up to the surface, something beautiful began to happen. What was going on? God grabbed the attention of all creation and before Jesus, his family, his friends, and his future followers, he spoke identity over his son. Here's a question for you. How important is identity? Write it down. This is good. You can get your hands ready to clap. This is good. <laughs> identity is so important that God's made sure that Jesus Christ had one. That's how important it is. That God himself made sure that Jesus Christ knew who he was, and not just who he was, but whom he was. You belong to me. You are mine. Why is that important? Because he's telling us these are the questions that the generation coming underneath us have. Who am I and who do I belong to? Who am I and who do I belong to? And if I can't answer those questions, I struggle with my identity and who I am as a person. God did this in three fashions and forms. He did this. First statement, let's go there. I call it triple A. He says, this is my son. He made a statement of the first A, acceptance. Write it down, please. He made a statement of acceptance. In this generation, we are in a constant battle for acceptance. And here's what's typically happening. What's typically happening is this, that as a parent, I'm already in a place of authority. But sometimes I forget that authority isn't enough. I also have to have influence. When my child is born, I'm already in an authority. I'm, I'm, I'm dad, I'm mom. But I will spend the rest of my life fighting for the harp, fighting for influence. And for the next generation, the, the younger people, it looks like this. We are, we're, we're over here going authority or influence. They're over here going, I either want to be liked or I want to be loved. And it's an interesting thing. Big Tim, come here real quick. Make me feel cut on me again. Come here. <laughs> this is dad. I'm the son. You see, I made myself younger. <laughs> and here's what happens. He already has authority. God gave him that. He's the source of which I've come from. <clears throat> But his whole life, he's going to be fighting and trying to capture my heart. And as you know, there are moments when you got it, and there's moments when you feel like you don't, and there's moments when you got it, and there's moments when you feel like you don't. 
Our kids are going through things. Our grandkids are going through things. And over here, they're trying to decide, is it more important for me to be liked or is it more important for me to be loved? Acceptance is a powerful thing. Let me tell you how powerful it is. There are social media platforms. And let me tell you the wording that they use. Hey, I, I tried to friend you. Did you accept my friendship on Facebook? You see that? Accept. Hey, I sent something out. Did you like it? Did you like it? Hey, how come you didn't like what I put out? How come you didn't share what I put out? Look at the terms that society is using to capture the hearts of our young people. Now, I want you to understand the power of like and love. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate it. Let me help you understand the power of like and love. Acceptance. His name was Robert Mauer. Robert, young man, I was living in the city of Detroit. My wife was going to medical school at Wayne State at the time. And I was working with young people in the city of Detroit. I remember this young man, Robert, his grandfather brought him to my office. And Robert walked into my office and coolest, coolest kid, had the coolest red hair and freckles. Well-built kid. Came back, came in, sat down in my office with his granddad, and he said to his grandfather, his grandfather said to me, Brian, I need you to talk to my grandson because my grandson is making horrible choices. I looked at Robert and I said, Robert, tell me about what's going on in your life. Robert said, You know what? These are my friends. We do what we want to do sex, drugs, alcohol. We make a lot of bad decisions, but these are my friends. I would die for them if I, if, if, if I had to. And I said, Robert, you need to find a new set of friends. And I said, let me tell you why. Because your friends are like buttons on an elevator. They're either going to take you up or they're going to take you down. That was good. You should have done that. And that was the second one. And you guys have a nice day. Okay. <laughs> I told them, they're like buttons on the elevator. They're either going to take you up or they're going to take you down. Your friends are taking you down. Robert right there grabbed his chair, threw his chair across my office, and had a few choice words for me as he walked out my office. A week went by, his grandfather calls me and says, Mr. Ford, have you seen Robert? I said, I have not. Another week went by, he called me again, have you seen Robert? I have not. The third week he calls me, he says, Brian, we found Robert. Okay, we found Robert. Can someone take a chair back there to the show? I can use a chair. You got one? No, I'm saying thank you. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see you standing like that. Okay. I want to make sure you got some places. Thank you, man. The third week they called and they said, We found Robert. I said, Great. They said, No. I said, What happened? What's going on? They said, We found Robert dead. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. Let me tell you about Robert. Robert and his friends would go down to the inner city of Detroit into these abandoned buildings. And in those abandoned buildings, they made a lot of bad decisions, sex, drugs, and alcohol. And they would throw parties in these abandoned buildings. And one night, Robert got into a fight with a young man. And this handsome young man, Robert, red hair, freckles, well-built kid. 
Got into a fight that night. Young man pulls out a gun, stuck it to the back of Robert's head, pulls the trigger. Robert's 16 years old. Shoots him in the head. Robert does not die instantly. Robert starts crawling across the parking lot. And as he's crawling across the parking lot, the young man has no mercy on him. He pulls out the gun a second time and shoots Robert in the back of the head again. That sounds horrible, but let me tell you, it gets worse. The people that Robert called friend, let me tell you what they did. They grabbed him by his legs, they pulled his body back into the building, put him in a corner, cut the music back on, and went on partying that night. Mm-hmm. These are the people Robert called friend. Sounds horrible, it gets worse. For the two weeks that we were looking for Robert, his friends knew exactly where his body was at. They never told his parents. They never said anything. These were the people that Robert called friend. As I stood and I did Robert's funeral, I watched three to 400 students walk into a room, young people walk into a room, and they say, what about Robert's casket? I remember asking myself, I was looking at each face, and I was asking, I wonder if that's the person right there that, that, uh, that was leading Robert down there, and they was partying with Robert. I wonder if that's the person right there that drug his body back into the building after he was shot. I wonder, what, I wonder if that's the person right there that never told his family where his body was at for two weeks. I wonder if that's the person that Robert called for you. You know what I wonder most of all, if I'm honest? I wonder what Robert was thinking between the first and the second shot. I often wonder. And here's why I pray to God and I hope. I pray to God and I hope that somewhere between those two shots that Robert, as he crawled across the parking lot, I pray and I just hope by the grace of God that he begin to call out on the God of his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the moment where he said, my grandfather was right. God is real. Lord Jesus Christ, help me. That's what I hope. Listen, what I learned from Robert was this. Robert had a family that loved him, but he wanted to be liked more than he wanted to be loved. That's how powerful acceptance is. Oh, mom, dad, I know you love me, but these people over here, they like me. And they're so young that they don't realize they like you today. They may not tomorrow. Do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, wear the wrong clothes. You're not cool anymore. Son, daughter, don't you understand? You are loved. And it should trump like every single time. Here's what I want to challenge your parents. Because kids don't understand this, and we we, we know this. They hear the words mom, dad, grandma, grandmother, and they assume it means you're a superhero. And they say things at times, they do things at times, that can wound parents for many years. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with wounded parents. And this is one of the messages I bring to young people. I say, hey, do you know your mom and your dad, your grandparents, that they are not superheroes? And that there are things you need to apologize for. That you need to go and say, you know what, when I said that, 
I never thought about the fact of how that could wound you, Mom. How that could wound you, Dad. What that might do to you. I love the fact that I get to have a voice in both generations. Speak and have this conversation. Acceptance. Acceptance. This is my child. Acceptance. Now I want you to think about this. When I make that statement, acceptance, think about the thought that there are 24, over 24 million kids in this world. Not this world, America. That has nobody that will say, this is my child. <sighs> Broken. Who am I? Who, who, who am I? Who do I belong to? Who am I? Who do I belong to? And I just start connecting to bad people trying to find out who I am. I'm making bad decisions trying to get an identity. And let me tell you something about identity. It is always given out by someone on the outside and then it's lived out by you. I'm going to tell you who you are and then you begin to walk it out or to live it out. Okay? God goes from a statement of acceptance. There's some chairs right here if they need some. Right here. Right here. Even if they want to take them to the back, whatever the case may be. These are the hundred dollar chairs. Second one. God moves from a statement of this is my son, that's the statement of acceptance. To whom I love, a statement of affection. Okay? Affection. This is my son whom I love. Second step to release an identity over the next generation. First is acceptance. I may not agree with everything you're doing, but I love you. You belong to me. Okay? Second one is, go ahead, guys. Got it? Acceptance. Okay? This is my son whom I love. So we're going from acceptance to affection. Right? Affection. I was playing at a football game. This was in high school. And I remember this particular game because there was this kid on my team. His name was Joe. And Joe was the kid on my team who worked as hard as everybody else. He wasn't necessarily as talented as everybody else. But we respected Joe because Joe gave his best effort at everything that he did. We respected that, okay? Now, Joe's dad, was the gentleman who showed up for every single game. And what I loved about Joe's dad is he would always show up in this sweatshirt and they would just say, Joe's dad. (laughs) (laughs) We know who you are, man. Take that sweatshirt off. Joe's dad. And here's the wild thing. Joe's dad very seldomly ever saw Joe play get in the football game. That's what I remember. He seldomly ever saw Joe play in a football game. And every game, he showed up with that sweatshirt. Joe's dad! In our school colors. It was impressive. I'm a kid on the team. I'm the star running back, and I see Joe's dad. I remember Joe's dad. Let me tell you why. I remember it because I remember thinking, man, I wish my dad would show up to a game. 
Now that's not to condemn anybody in the room. I'm telling my story. The truth is, is there are times you miss games. There are times you have to work. Life happens at times. My situation is, or was, dad's never seen me play. I was a long time. I was the second leader in Russia in the country. I battled it out with the Heisman Trophy winner. I rushed for more yards in one season than anyone in back uh, 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 and, and, and Central Michigan history. I scored more touchdowns in one game than uh, instead of uh, NCAA record, five touchdowns, 550 yards in one game. And you know what, to be honest with you, while all that sounds impressive, the truth is this. Every game I ever played in, every yard I ever rushed for, I was actually doing it, trying to make my dad show up. I thought to myself, literally, listen, he didn't show up last week. Maybe I didn't try hard enough. So I'll try harder this week. Oh, this week? We'll get in the newspaper this week. This week we'll end up on ESPN. He has got to see this. And he will show up next week. Because he'll say, you know, we, you know what, man? That, that's my boy. What are kids doing when they say that? All they're really saying is this. Who am I and who do I belong to? And you know what, what they're looking for? This right here. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love and with whom I will please. And we're going to talk about that applause in just a minute. Now listen, Joe's dad, we win a game, and here's how we win the game. I scored a winning touchdown. The game is over. Crowd has me on the shoulder. And here comes Joe's dad. He's got his son. He's got oh, his son, son. And I'm thinking, and Joe didn't play. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> now, let me tell you how selfish it is, though. How self-absorbed it was on my side. Because I'm watching Joe and his dad while I just scored the winning touchdown. But I'm watching this. I remember this more than anything else that was happening after the week. Because Joe had something I wanted. He had the attention of his parents. He had the focus of his parents. He knew who he was. He knew who he belonged to. There was an identity and a strength that came with Joe because what his parents were putting inside of him. The game stayed in perspective. For me, the game honestly was out of control. It was what I had. It was what I needed. Because it brought false. It was like a, let me put it this way, an AI dad, artificial intelligent dad. I could get out of the game when I couldn't get at home. You see what I'm saying? So if I didn't get applause at home, I could go score and I could get an applause. But I learned that the crowd is not meant to be a parent, so the crowd can be very fickle. Mm-hmm. Fall short of the goal line one day. Fumble <laughs> <laughs> the football one day. Drop a pass one day. 
and you find out those aren't your parents. Okay. <laughs> oh, not your parents up here. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Joe has something special. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Because some of you have the same thing with your children in your direction. Some of you have seen Joe's dad. Some of you are Joe's dad and Joe's mom. And here's what they did. They started doing this invisible football thing. And I know what it is now, because I do it in the backyard with my son. But then it was like, what in the world are they doing? His dad goes and lines up, and he, he doesn't even have a football. He goes, Dad, what do you do? Dad, what do you do? Joe lines up like this, and he's like, we all celebrate. I'm like, what do you do? Self-absorbed. Trying to get something out of the world that I shouldn't be getting at home. <clears throat> His dad goes, down 22, fuck off! Sam, hut, hut, hut! He jumps back and he starts commentating this thing. <laughs> he doesn't have a football. And now he thinks his heart gonna sell. This is weird. <laughs> he drops back. And his son starts, his son starts doing the stuff that he's narrating. He jumps back, the quarterback, he runs to the line, he eludes a tackle, he throws a pass, he catches it. Joe's like (laughs) 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 And he goes, oh, he spins. Joe goes. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, he shakes. Joe goes. He died. Joe dies into the end zone. He goes, Where are Joe gets up, slams the ball down, right? And I'm going, He didn't do that. I did that. I caught the ball. I did the spin move. I did the shake and bake it. And I'm like, that. And then I go and I score. Get over here. AI dad. Artificial intelligence. Last one moment. It ain't real. And then I realized something. Oh my gosh. I wish I was Joe. Joe will never play. But I wish I was Joe. Here's the thing. His parents were there. They poured into him. He knew who he was. And here's the beautiful thing about Joe. He didn't have to score touchdowns to get back. That was the beauty of Joe's life. That touchdown didn't. I was going, he didn't score that touchdown I did. The beauty of it was he didn't have to. He didn't have to perform. It mattered to his parents. If he performed or not performed, if his jersey was dirty or clean after the game, it didn't matter. His dad was going to have on that sweatshirt, Joe's dad. Affection. And that affection was unconditional. Didn't matter if he scored. Didn't matter if he played. All that mattered was, this is my son. You belong to me. I'm 50 years old. I remember Joe's dad. 
more than I remember much of what happened in that football game. And I'm just telling you a story from a game. I see this all the time. All the time. Here's the thing. Let me tell you what Joe's dad was doing and his parents were doing. It's a picture of what God does for us. He even did it for Jesus. Joe didn't have to play to be his father's son. And Jesus, think about this. These are the words God spoke over him before he even started his ministry. He hadn't even performed a miracle yet. No water into wine. No dead bodies raising from the grave. No demons cast out nothing. In other words, Jesus, before you go and start your ministry, let me tell you something. Before you even make your journey to the cross, if you decide not to even go on the cross, because someday you'll find yourself in the Garden of Gethsemane and you'll be wondering if this is what you really want to do. And you'll be saying a prayer like this, Father God, take this cup away from me if you could. Have we really thought about this, Lord? Even if you don't make it to the cross, I want you to know right now who you are, how I feel about you, and who you belong to. And that it's not based on your performance. It's not based on if you make it to the cross. It's just the simple fact that you are mine, I love you, and I am well pleased with you. Let's go to the third statement. First one, acceptance. Second one, affection. The last one is affirmation. Triple A. These are just tools that I'm giving you, okay? Tools. Affirmation. Everybody get your hands up like this. Now let me see the clap. But somehow I 
find myself taking a trash set on Monday, Tuesdays, <laughs> and Wednesdays. It's like, like trash piled up in the front of the house. But I look good, brother. I look good. <laughs> now she's trying to get me on this note, honey. <clears throat> you look sexy when you wash those dishes. <laughs> really? people in my lifetime to know this. Most of the young men who get in trouble, the young women who get in trouble in our society, it's not that nobody's applauding. It's typically that the wrong people are applauding. I was in junior high school. My sister started, my sister's life changed. In elementary school, I came home. I probably was in the sixth grade. She was in junior high at the time. And I remember coming home, and I walked in the house, and my sister was on the couch, and she was just broken. I mean, I just remember just sitting there like a puddle in the middle of the floor. And I looked at my mom, and I said, what, what's, what happened? This is my sister, Stephanie. I said, what happened? And I would say, Stephanie, probably, I won't even say I was in the sixth grade, because uh, my, my sister uh, ended up running away from my home when she was 13. I really never came back. She got pregnant at the age of 13. And never, never came back to live under our roof. Okay? So I would say my sister was probably, I want to say it, about 12 years old at that point in time. And her life went into a tailspin. But I remember the day I walked in, I saw my sister just in a puddle in the middle of the floor. And I said, I said to my mom, I said, what's going on? Well, my sister had just found out that her father had been murdered, okay? Mm -hmm. He was involved in gambling. He won, and he lost that day. He won the money. Then they killed him and tossed his body in the ditch, and, and they found him there. And that changed my sister's life. It just kind of sent her to a tailspin from there. Um, but what I remember is how it made begin to make her search and look for things that weren't there. Looking for AI dad. Just wasn't there. And my sister started dating this guy a few years later. He was a drug dealer. His name was Mike. Nickname was Country Mike. Mike was from the South. They called him Country Mike. And Mike had all the things that you looked like you would think you would. <clears throat> he had money, old Cadillacs. And the answer thing was this. Mike just kind of he started to become a little bit of a father figure to me because he was around my sister. And Mike had stuff. And while I wasn't selling drugs, I sure didn't mind the money. I sure didn't mind him putting me in clothes that maybe we couldn't afford at home. And all of a sudden, I began to realize something. I was following Mike in the wrong direction. And here's why I was following Mike in the wrong direction. Because whether you want to believe it or not, although Mike was doing horrible things within our community, somewhere inside of Mike was just a broken kid too. And one of the things that Mike did for me, in all honesty, even though Mike was doing horrible things in our community, Mike did this. And I realized I responded to Mike's applause. Even if he was applauding me for doing the wrong thing. 
It's how God fathers the fatherless. He sends men and women of God. God is a father to the fatherless. He sets the lonely in families. And he is a husband to the widow or the single parent mother. And how does he do it? He sends men and women of God. He has us invite broken youth or broken kids into our home. I got four kids, but there's one extra ten chair at my table. Why? Because there's another Brian Pruitt out there somewhere <clears throat> who needs to sit at a dinner table with a family and go, oh, this is what this looks like. You mean I can have this? You mean I can do this? As we talked about, my brother, I <coughs> just one extra chair. Because when I get a visual of what family looks like, what it looks like to have family and children and how a real family operates. You know what you do for me? You take my excuses away. I once could say I didn't see it. Now I can say, oh, I have an option. And because I have that option, I think I choose you. I think I choose what I see at your dinner table. I think I choose what I see in your household. What a beautiful thing. That coach changed my life, and here was our last conversation. He said, Brian, I'm proud of you. I said, thanks, coach. <clears throat> I said, thank you for everything that you've ever done for me. He says, you're welcome. He says, you're going to pay me back. <laughs> I said, how's that? He says, you're going to do for me what I did for you. You're going to find broken kids. You reach out to the next generation. And you don't have to do anything elaborate. Our, our kids and our grandkids, they have friends who fit this description. They probably walk around our neighborhood or in my house anyway. And they love hanging out at your house. Why? Because there's something there. There's a peace there. There's a joy there. There's a strength there. There's a connectedness there. And they go, man, this is, this is different. And this, is, this is beautiful. All it takes, acceptance, affection, affirmation. Here's how I'm going to wrap things up. Affirmation. Piano recital. You go to the piano recital, there's always that one kid that's like a maestro, right? Beethoven's grandchild. <laughs> they come up, right? They sit down at that piano and they start playing. <laughs> and the crowd goes, Oh my God! <laughs> Whose child is that? And you can always tell because it's that one pair of <laughs> And it's beautiful, right? But you're nervous. You know why you're nervous? Because you know your kids. Me too. And you know good well you heard your kid practice. It don't sound like that. And the problem with piano recitals is often they're playing the exact same song. So here comes my kid, right? Or here comes that next kid. Your kid comes up, they sit down, 
And for whatever reason, they go, <laughs> and they go to play it, right? It's supposed to sound like the last song, but it sounds like this. <laughs> One finger, right? <laughs> Guys, if your wife was anything like my wife, at this is the moment. This is the second when my wife stands up and goes, Stand up and fight. 